So every now and then, it seems like just about any given week, I'll read about some new study being conducted by scientists or sociologists somewhere, and, and rather than be amazed at the results of these new studies, I'm usually amazed that someone actually paid them money to study whatever it is that they're studying. Such an example of that would be in 2000 and 2015, a, a psychologist named Richard Stevens conducted a study, fully funded study. Uh, he used college students as his test subjects because college students are good for that. One group, the the control group were instructed to plunge their arm into a bucket of ice water and hold it there as long as they could. And while they held their arm in that bucket of ice water, they were given a neutral word, a, a nonsense word, to simply repeat over and over again. That was the control group. The experiment group was instructed to plunge their arm in a bucket of ice water and hold it there as long as they could, and they were given a swear word to repeat over and over again. And no, I have no idea which swear word it was. Pick your favorite. You know, choose for yourself. The, the results of the study showed that students who repeated the curse word were able to keep their hand in the bucket of ice water longer than those that uttered a neutral word. And the study also showed, the conclusion of the study was, as well as the pain tolerance change, participants also showed an increase in heart rate. When you swear, your heart rate goes up even more, which suggests an emotional response to the swearing itself. The response is the stress fight-or-flight response, and it works as an analgesic. It works as a painkiller. And so there you have it. Cussing is good for you. If you didn't know that, cussing is actually good for you, which leaves me with one big question. Why was my father not the healthiest man who ever lived? Because that man had a vocabulary like you would not believe. Do you remember the movie uh, Christmas Story? The Christmas Story and Ralphie, as, as the, the older Ralphie, the narrator says of his father, the old man worked in profanity the way other artists might work in oils or clay. It was his true medium and he was a master. And I have to say, I, I related to that. I also relate to, to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is called into ministry. God calls Isaiah to serve him. And Isaiah's response is, Woe to me! I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And I said, I get it, Isaiah. And if you can be called uh, being a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips, maybe God can use me also. And so I, for one, question the, the results of this study the health benefits of swearing. And what I have to ask is, what's really at work here? Is it about the words? Is it about the swearing? Is it about the cursing? Is it about the vulgarity? Or is it something else? Is it simply about the ability to let it all out? To let what's inside of us out and to be honest with ourselves. There are ugly things inside of us. And those ugly things eat us up. They destroy us from the inside out. They weaken us how do we let them out? In short, how do you cuss 
without cussing. Well, we're going to the Psalms today to learn that. There's a whole series of Psalms that theologians refer to as the imprecatory Psalms. That's your big word for the day, imprecatory. It comes from the verb to imprecate. And as you know, to imprecate means to pray evil against. Now listen to that very carefully. It doesn't say to pray against evil, but to pray evil against. To imprecate is to call down a curse upon someone. In the book of Psalms, we have 150 Psalms. Among those 150, at least 14 of them are imprecatory Psalms. Now, in other passages, other Psalms, there are little imprecatory parts. Imprecations, we might say. And in the prophets, there are some imprecatory points within the prophets as well. But we're going to look at several of the imprecatory Psalms today. For example, right there in Psalm 109. Psalm 109 is a great example of an imprecatory Psalm. It begins in verses 1-5. through David says, Be not silent, O God, my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate, and they attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Sounds angry, doesn't it? And it, it is angry. It is raw. It is painful. It is honest. And if it's inside of us one way or another, it has to get out. How do you handle the anger that's inside of you? Now one of the rawest and angriest of the imprecatory Psalms is Psalm 137. If you do want to turn to that one in your Bibles, otherwise just hold on for the ride. Psalm 137, those blue Bibles in front of you, it's on page 521. Psalm 137 was written while the Jews were in exile to Babylon. They are in Babylon hundreds of miles from their home. They are in slavery. They are in humiliation in Babylon. And and from that very first section, from verse 3 of Psalm 137, the captors tormented them. And, And in mirth, they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us one of the songs of your homeland. Tell us, uh, sing us a song about Jerusalem. You know, your home that you're never going to see again. That you will never return to because you're going to die hundreds of miles away in a foreign land living as our slaves. History tells us that the Babylonians were cruel. They were brutal to their enemies. And by the psalm, what the psalm tells us from what we read is that they would actually take the babies born of the Jews, the the babies, they would take them out and they would just kill them to keep the population of the Jews down, to keep them manageable, but also to humiliate them and to degradate them. They would kill their babies. And so the captors ask the psalmist, sing us one of your songs of Zion. And the psalmist wrote this down. He sang this song. And if you look at 137, the last two verses... He concludes his song by singing to them, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. 
Did you know that's in the Bible? Did you know that that's a prayer in, in the Psalms? That's, that's in the Bible? He wrote that. He, he wrote that. He sang that. And now it's in the Bible. It is the inspired Word of God. If I am to believe 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and I do, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, so that the man or woman of God may be able to do all things right. May be able to, to do every good work. But you know, writing it down, writing it down was not the worst thing that that author could do. The worst thing that that author could do was pretend that it wasn't here. Pretend that, that he wasn't feeling it. And the worst thing you can do with your anger is pretend that it's not there. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Be angry, but do not sin. Did you know that you can be angry and not sin? I need to know how to do that. I want to know how to be angry and not sin. Paul says in verse, verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I've had people come to me and tell me, I've got something that's been eating me up for a long time. I've got something that I've been angry about for a long time. And anger aside, the issue aside, you realize you have just confessed a sin to me. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. On any given day, you have less than 24 hours <laughs> to deal with whatever it is that's causing you anger. You have less than 24 hours or it turns into a sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Give no opportunity to the devil. Some of your Bibles say, do not give the devil a foothold into your life. When you hold on to those things, you have, when you hold on to those things, you have decided that you would rather let the devil have his way with you than to let God have his way with you. And let me ask you this. When you hold it in, when you bottle it up, does it ever get better? Does it? Doesn't it ever just get better? Doesn't, doesn't it just finally go away? No. It gets worse. And when it finally comes out, when it finally explodes out of you, it drags up a lot of other stuff with it. Stuff that you thought was long dead, and all of a sudden this stuff's alive again, and, and it's coming out of you, and you're like, I'd, I'd forgotten all about that, but boy, it'll come back up in those moments. Paul says, be angry. That's a command, by the way. There are things that ought to make you angry. Paul says, be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Find a way to get it out that will not destroy you or, and, and will not destroy other people around you. These imprecatory psalms, they're, they're inspired. <laughs> they're the Word of God. They, they are worship. They are also rare. Does anyone write any imprecatory praise music today? <laughs> Is there any contemporary Christian imprecatory music being written <laughs> in our day? I don't think so. The majority of contemporary Christian music is beautiful. You know, it's, it's meaningful. It is thoughtful. But it's not always honest. It doesn't really deal with our hurts and our anger and our pain. 
I happen to enjoy the band U2, and I happen to appreciate some of the things that their lead singer Bono says. Bono himself, a believer in Jesus Christ. Bono says of the Psalms, the psalmist is brutally honest about the explosive joy that he's feeling and his deep sorrow and confusion. And I often think, why isn't church music more like that? And so I asked this week on Facebook and in my email I sent out, I asked the question, what's your fight song? What is that song that when everything has gone wrong, you need to hear, you need to hear it now, and you need to hear it loud. And so maybe you put the headphones on, and you crank it up, and you just, until your ears are numb. Maybe you get out in the car, and you get out on the open road, and you put this but you put the speedometer all the way to the, to the right and you crank it up and you just blast it. What is your fight song? I got a lot of great responses. One response, their fight song was Rock of Ages. They actually chose an old hymn, Rock of Ages. I totally get why Rock of Ages is a fight song, but most of the songs were not that pretty. Most of the songs were, were a little different. What is your fight song? One person said their fight song was we Will Rock You by Queen. I get We Will Rock You by Queen. One of, another person said their fight song was Katy Perry's song, Roar. Another said it was Phil Collins' song, I Don't Care Anymore. And of course, one person had to say that their fight song was Rachel Platten's song titled, Fight Song. The chorus of which says, this is my fight song, take back my life song. I don't really care what nobody else believes, I've still got a lot of fight in me, and I love that because that says it as well as anything. I think there's echoes of Psalm 137 in those words, echoes of my own generation and a song that we sang, we're not going to take it. No, we ain't going to take it. The reality is, in that call to be angry and still not sin, there comes the call to realize God already knows. God already knows what's inside of you. A lot of the imprecatory Psalms were written by David. What are we told about David in the Bible? David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And so, a man after God's own heart wrote these words in Psalm 69, verses 23 and 24. A man after God's own heart wrote, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. I have to stop for a moment. Because our Bible translators do a wonderful job of translating the words. But our Bible translators also clean things up a little bit. You know, They try to make things sound acceptable. There is no way that praying that someone's loins would tremble continually can be cleaned up. Seriously, you would need a hose to clean that up. Think about it just for a moment. What is he praying about when he's asking someone's asking God to make someone's Donna gets it. <laughs> Ask someone to make God, would you make their loins tremble continually? I don't I don't want to pray that. I definitely don't want to lay hands on that. But you get it, right? You understand what he's praying for? Don't make me say it. He says, blacken their eyes. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble. They're not even going to find their way to the bathroom. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. 
David prayed that. David wrote that. David got his harp out and sang it. Put it to a tune. And you know what? God already knew it was inside of him. David couldn't hide it from God. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, if I had loved the sin in my heart, if I had held on to the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I cannot be more concerned about hiding my feelings from God than letting Him know who I really am and what I really feel. Over in the Gospels, over in the New Testament, time and again, we see that Jesus knew the thoughts of the people around Him. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals a man, on, uh, He heals a paralytic. He just happens to do it on the Sabbath. And the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees just freak out about it. He healed this man on the Sabbath. And Matthew tells us that Jesus knew what was in their minds. He knew their thoughts. Luke chapter 9, the disciples are having one of those great discussions that you would expect leaders in a church to have. Which one of us is the greatest? I'll tell you who's the greatest. And Luke tells us there in Luke chapter 9 that, that Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You hear that? Even before a word is on my tongue, <laughs> even those words, the Lord says He knows it altogether. And so let me ask, what good does it do to try to hide your thoughts from God? What good does it do to try to hide your feelings from God? To, to hide those hurts from Him. In John chapter 4, we have a story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well, and she's got something to hide. The, the story in, in John chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus says to this woman, this Samaritan woman, go and call your husband to come here. And the woman answered him, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. She didn't want Jesus to know the truth about who she was. She wanted to hide her truth from Jesus, but Jesus already knew. And you know, it's one thing when that truth is a mistake. It's one thing when that truth is a bad relationship or a series of bad relationships. What about when that truth is your anger? What about when that truth is your bitterness? What about when that truth is a secret rage that you've kept hidden for a very long time? Psalm 10 is another one of the imprecatory psalms. And in Psalm 10, it's a psalm against the arrogance against the wickedness of the arrogant and the arrogant of the the arrogance of the wicked and the author paints a picture of the wicked they are deceitful they they are cursing they are oppressing the poor and when we then we read the his response at, at the end of that psalm in psalm 10 verses 16 through 18 the psalmist concludes and he says the lord is king forever and ever the nations perish from his hand O oh Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline Your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that, the man, so that man who is of the earth will strike terror no more. You hear that in verse 17? O oh Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. God can hear past your rage. God can hear past your anger. God can hear past your disappointment. He can hear your desire but you've got to let Him hear it. Again, Psalm 66, verse 18, if I had cherished 
sin in my heart, if I had kept it to myself, the Lord would not have listened. Let Him hear what you're feeling. Because the fact is, if you can't turn to God, you will turn on others. If you can't turn to God, you will turn on other people. I read from Psalm 109 earlier. Psalm 109 continues verses 6-12. through Listen to this. Psalm 109 verses 6-12. through David says, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May a stranger plunder the fruit of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. And I know what you're thinking. Why hasn't anyone, why hasn't anyone embroidered that on a pillow yet? Right? Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that, doesn't that belong on a nice throw, Gerald? Put that one on a nice throw. That, that could be my life verse, I think. You know what? This would be a great Scripture to have. Shirley, could you make us some cards? With... Can you imagine getting one of those in a card in the mail? What did I do to this guy? And yet, and yet there it is. That's a prayer. What does God do with a prayer like that? Does God answer a prayer like that? Well, if He answered prayers like that, I don't think He'd have time to do anything else. No, I, I don't think God answers prayers like that. Does He hear the hurting heart behind a prayer like that? Absolutely. Absolutely He hears a hurting heart behind a prayer like that. Can His grace cover a prayer like that? Absolutely. His grace, His amazing grace can cover that. God is able to meet your pain. No matter how great, no matter how deep, God is able to meet the pain you feel with His perfect grace. To go back for a moment to that encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well. The story continues. And after Jesus has confronted her with her, with her truth, she says to Him, she tries to change the subject. She says, Sir, I, I perceive that You are a prophet. And she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but You say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe Me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And what we learn in those verses is what worship is to be like in this new Christ-centered kingdom uh, that, that Jesus has brought. We worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit meaning we don't worship God on this mountain or on that mountain. We don't worship God in this building alone or in that building alone. We worship God 
wherever we are in whatever moment it is. We don't restrict the time or the day of worship. God is Spirit. He is not going to hide Himself from us, but at that very moment when we need Him, He will be there. He will reveal Himself. We worship Him in Spirit. But what about the truth part? Well, look at the context. This woman has just tried to hide herself from Jesus and not tell Him the truth about herself. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, you're right. You've had five. The guy you've got now, he's not your husband. What you're saying is, is very true. The truth he's talking about is, is the truth about who you are. Are you going to tell God the truth about yourself? Are you going to tell Him about your sin? Are you going to tell Him the truth about your anger? Are you going to tell Him the truth about your failings? Are you going to tell Him what you feel and how you hurt how you've hurt others or how you've been hurt by others? Tell God the truth. If you can't turn to God, you will turn on others. I have seen it. I have been on the receiving end of it. It is not pretty. It is not godly. It is senseless. Do you realize what anger does to you? I mean, the, the results of the cussing experiment aside, there have been study after study that shows what anger does to our physical health. Physically, it, it, it ruins your body. It causes pain. It causes all kinds of physical ailments. It causes heart disease. It causes high blood pressure. Uh, unconfessed and, 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 and unrealized anger does all of that. Do you realize what it does to your physical health? Do you realize what it's doing to your family because of what it does to your emotional health? It causes depression and bitterness and your family has to live with that. Do you realize what it does to your spiritual health? Do you realize what it does to your relationship with God? It builds a barricade. If I had cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And since you built that barricade, God can't tear it down. You have to tear it down. You're the only one who can tear that down. But if God can handle your sin, if He can take your sin and cover it with the blood of your son, the blood of His Son, and forgive it, and heal it, then He can heal your anger also. So, so give it to Him. Let it out. And maybe you're the kind of person who can write these things down. Maybe you're kind of like the authors of those imprecatory psalms and you can write it down and, and sing it out or scream it out or get a pillow and just scream into that pillow and have one of those moments. Find a fight song of your own and just blast it out of you. But when you do, when you get it out, get ready for the day when the anger is gone and you're ready to praise again. Psalm 109 says some very angry things. He says in verse 13, Psalm 109, verse 13, David says, May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. David prays, I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. But the psalm doesn't end in verse 13. The psalm goes on and, and it concludes in verses 26-31. through 31. David says, Help me, O Lord. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to Your steadfast love. Let them know that this, has, this is Your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but You will bless. They arise and are put to shame. 
May your servant will be glad. May my accuser be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as a cloak. But with my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng, for He stands at the right hand of the needy one to save Him from those who condemn His soul to death. There are things inside of you and you think you're the only one that knows that they're there. You think you're the only one that knows and so you hold on to those tight. But God knows. And when you give them to Him, He can heal. He can make you whole. His love is that great. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, forgive us for the times when we haven't told You the truth about ourselves. We've hidden our hurts and our anger from You and from others. And in doing so, we have hidden ourselves. We have withheld our pain and and inadvertently, we, we withheld our prayers. We thank You that in Your perfect steadfast love, You hear past our anger to the cries of our hearts. And just as Your Son's blood covers our sin and washes it away, You take our truth as ugly as it might be and You bring healing and wholeness inside and out. Father, there are times when we need to cry out with the imprecatory psalms. There are times when the anger and the hurt must get out. Help us to be angry and still not sin. Remind us that You stand at the right hand of the needy one to save us and to free us from those who would condemn us. Even when we condemn ourselves. We thank You for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.